Hey guys, this is Pete from Red Flag Poetry with Sarah Everett in the flesh. We haven't seen each other in like six months, yeah. but we're here, we're making a podcast for you, and though all four of you, one of which is me, <laughs> uh, will probably never actually like this. I appreciate you being here. Today Sarah and I are going to talk about um, lyrical, uh, the lyrical nature of poetry and turning those poems into, into songs and going from there. Um, Sarah is a very accomplished musician, though she tries to deny it. She's got albums on Bandcamp, um, and you should buy them. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, yeah. I'm How's glad it's Friday. It's been very, very busy. I'm trying to graduate. So. Right, trying to. Yeah. Right? Um, okay, so I think it's important for us to kind of start with an understanding of how you view poems. In our conversations, right, as art coordinator, you try to distance yourself yeah. from poetry. Sure. But you're a musician. You write songs. Yeah. Go. Okay. Um, poetry is something that I think there's just the word scares me a lot. I've had poetry classes before a lot in high school where we would sit down and analyze dead people's poems and you have to come up with... Most of those people are white and male. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I didn't identify with them at all. Right. Uh, but uh, I actually took a creative writing class here at IUP and we had to write poetry and I was terrified. Um, and it's so different for me writing poetry than it is from writing music. And I think it's just because in my head I categorize them as different things. But honestly, they are basically the same thing. Right. And a lot of people who are singer-songwriters that I listen to, they actually write poetry and that's how they turn them into songs. Um, Taylor Swift, one of my girls, uh, she writes a lot of poetry. And she talks a lot about how she turns that into her music. Um, Look What You Made Me Do actually started as a really, a really important poem to her. And then she turned it into a song. So there are people who do that kind of thing. I try to separate the two because poetry scares me and I don't want to be afraid of writing music. But when it comes to things like the song Look What You Made Me Do, sure. right? that's not a very complex song. No. Right? No. Um, I think I learned the words the first time I heard it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, my five-year-old knows the words. Uh, the kids' bop version, it's, of course. Sure. Yeah. It's the best song. So where where's the separation then, right? I mean... Um, Sure, we have poets that write, you know, very short form, very simplistic, uh, but it's not the same. No. Right? Um, especially when it comes to something like pop music in general, where it relies on the repetition, it relies yeah. on that, um, I can't even think of the word I want, it relies on the ability to kind of be, create catchiness, whereas sure. poetry typically doesn't. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, what's, say, a singer-songwriter that you think is very complex lyrics? kind of compensate for... Sure. Um, Laura Marling and Florence, well, she's Florence the Machine. Um, I love their music because they don't always use choruses in their songs. So they'll have, you know, chord structures that are, you know, part A, part B, part C, but they don't have repeated sections very often in their music, which I think, you know, forces you to write more. The nice thing, when I'm writing music, I usually write the chorus first because it is... The part that has to be repeated throughout the whole song, I use it three or four times in the song that takes up a whole minute and a half. Um, so writing the verses becomes a lot easier, especially when the chorus is the main idea of your song. Um, so people who don't do that are putting a lot more, I don't want to say effort, because obviously people who are writing courses put effort in their music, but I think people who avoid that are um, writing more complex things and they kind of have to tell a story in a different way as opposed to like hitting you over the head with the idea of what the song is about over and over again. So I think, I, and those people are probably people who write a lot more poetry than I do. It's just, that's the nature of how they do things. Interesting. 
Um, you know, I, it's funny is that I have, <clears throat> I bought on a whim, uh, Paul McCartney, at least I'm sure he's released several of these. Um, he actually released a book of poems called like Blackbird, and it's like collected poems, 1965 to whatever it is. Yeah. And he's got transcriptions of several Beatles songs in there, yeah. right? Blackbird is, of course, in there. And then when you look at some of those versus some of his other actual poems that, yeah. that are in there, um, I'm always like, well, this is a good poem. This is a Beatles song, right? Yeah. You know, and it's very clearly distinct. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know. So having read, say, uh, the, the original, have you read the original version of Taylor Swift's song? The Look What You, or, or have you not read it? Uh, she hasn't released it. She hasn't released she? it. Oh, I, I thought you guys so. were friends, so that may be Oh, yeah, we're pen pals. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think that that original poem is then, to her? You know, I mean, like, I don't I don't know. It's it's got to be some kind of narrative of what she was going through because obviously the song is that. But I know that um, Max Martin, who does all the music and pop music, and he's a genius and probably gets paid tons of money. Uh, he went in and changed a lot of it. So I, there must be some kind of aspect to it that he saw and was able to condense into some kind of form of catchy chorus or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what he... There is something that's different about the two, and I don't know what that leap is, um, and I'm not quite sure how to quantify it or explain it, but he must have seen something that he could change into a song. Um, it's, it's funny because Rivers Cuomo does the same thing, of Weezer, right? Rivers' uh, Blue Album probably super famous, changed the, the life of, of many a young people in my day. Um, but then Pinkerton, arguably the most interesting and challenging lyrically album that Weezer has ever made, mm -hmm. um, is the one that Rivers hates. You know? Um, so that's a very interesting thing. Are, are you familiar with Pinkerton and, and Blue Album? Nope. You should. Okay. Pinkerton is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually, the entire thing is inspired by Madame Butterfly, the, the okay, opera. Yeah. Um, and it explores those themes in very interesting ways, and then, you know, the next thing they do is, is Island in the Sun, which is an amazing song. I it's like that song, yeah. Not, it's a song. It's just a song, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do you think that... I don't know. So let's talk about one of the inspiration, one of the songs that you've written, which, you know, whatever. Um, Pick one at random and tell, tell us how you went from that process to write those lyrics, then. Sure. Um, on my latest album, uh, I have a song <laughs> called a Single Cell Serenade. I can only offer a single cell serenade Cause the rest of my heart belongs to someone else Maybe it was just a smile, but it was enough To spark something deep in my heart somewhere in my And soul. I was on Instagram, and I saw a, fr a person I was friends with in high school, and that was their handle on Instagram. And I looked at it, and I just liked the phrase single cell serenade. I didn't know what it meant or what you know connotation it had to it, but I kind of liked the concept of it. And I just wrote it down, and I carried it around a piece of paper for a long time, just waiting for like the right place to put it. Um, and then I, I came up with this concept of like, you know, you see people every day that you might be interested in or attracted to just because you don't know anything about them, and like a little piece of you kind of goes to that person, but you can't give away all of yourself to this idea of a person you've never met. 
Um, so I carried that concept around with me for a long time before turning it into lyrics, and I always start with my lyrics first. The chords, I, I use like the same four chords every single time. Um, no one's figured it out yet. But uh, just, you know, I, I write the words first, and sometimes they come in chunks, or just sometimes they get phrases or just words that I like, and I write them all down, and I stew on them for a while until I can come up with an idea. Uh, so Single Cell Serenade started as just that phrase, and I carried it around all summer. And then when I was trying to write my album over Christmas break, I sat down and I just had chords and it fit. And then all of a sudden I had to come up with a story to surround it. So then I attached a meaning to that phrase then from having an opportunity to use it. So I think that's a little bit different because in, and I don't write a lot of poetry, but in poetry you kind of have that idea that maybe you want to get across. And when I'm writing music, I'm trying to attach an idea to words that I like. So maybe that's the process differentiation for me. And I, I mean, I, I'm going to make another Beatles reference sure. because that's the best reference I have. Yeah. When you listen to a Beatles song, not solo work, but you hear John's part and you hear Paul's part, and, and they're very different, and I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Actually, A Day in the Life. Mm -hmm. When you listen to right the John's, John's words in A Day in the Life and then what Paul says, they're very different yeah. pieces. Is that kind of what you're talking about, right, where you have sure. very yeah. fragmented, not fragmented in a bad way, but like separate individual things yeah. that you're attaching together? Yeah to create this kind of, um, and I, I mean, I think that's a poetic thing in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Wes could probably, uh, if Wes were here. Yeah, Wes. He would probably, yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, he flat out refused to be part of this, uh, this podcast, just so everyone knows. Um, uh, his poems very much kind of separate themselves into sections, mm -hmm. but they come together in, in much more cohesive way. Um, as somebody that I don't typically write longer poems, I, my poems are usually one one thing, one idea, sure. and I kind of like see where you're coming from there. Yeah. It was confusing. I was taking that creative writing class, and the professor told me, okay, you have your first stanza or whatever is one idea, your second one is another idea, and then in the third one you have to flip the script and it like has to change something about the poem before you can kind of resolve it in some way. And those for are me, the instructions he gave you. Those are the instructions he gave me. Those are some dumb instructions. Well, but. and I was terrified of writing poetry, so I wanted like a bullet mm -hmm. list of how to do it. Okay. And that is what oh, he okay. told me, because I wanted some kind of form to follow. Because I've, I've taken music classes online, actually, from, you know, Berkeley has like free online classes, and I've taken a couple of them on songwriting. And, you know, they give you the form of A, B, A, B, C, or whatever. Right. Um, so having like a format is really helpful for me, because I'm a a logical person, not a creative person. Um, so when he gave me that form, I was terrified because I had to put three different ideas into one mm -hmm. thing, as opposed to a song where I'm just taking the same idea and just kind of changing a little bit of it every stanza or chorus or verse or whatever. Um, so I, that really scared me, the idea of putting more than one idea with similar meanings into one place as opposed to just making them into separate songs. Right. And now, if I may, because sure. you're putting your poems down, I think I read those poems that you wrote. You read the early ones. I've written some after okay. that. Well, they were those ones terrible. were very good. I don't care what you say. The ones he that hated you, them. Well, that doesn't matter. Okay. That's the beauty of poetry is because they were very good. It's very subjective and I should know. Okay. Fine. Published poet. Good. Whatever. Right. I mean, uh, I'm kind of a big deal. That's not true. Um, but, I mean, like, they, they're, they're very good. So I think that they should be proud of those. Um, yeah. So what's... Have you... Do you listen to St. Vincent at all? I've heard of 
them. Okay. I have not listened. Um, they have been attributed, and, and I think it's just her. I don't know this to be fact. I'll probably cut this out because I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But some of the songs that, like the most recent album, was supposed to like change the way that we listen to music. Sure. And as I'm listening to it, it doesn't affect me at all. You know, and, but when I listen to one of the earlier albums, um, they're much more simple. Mm. I'm thinking of the song, actual Cheerleader, um, by St. Vincent, and it was, it was much better, but it's, it's easy and fun to listen to. Um, do you think poetry has that same kind of, like, complexity where it's just, it's just a fun poem, right? The Red Wheelbarrow, so much relies upon, I have no idea where I'm going with this. You know, that poem. With that poem. I've read it. go? Go? I'm really bad at reciting things. But you might want to change professions. Mm. Yeah. Um, Hold on, I'm going to actually sure, go read ahead, this. Read it. Do we need to cite it in mm. the, the sources? Yeah, so the red wheelbarrow. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain water beside the white chickens. And now I butchered that because the, uh, from what I know, right, that poem is about delivery and I delivered it very poorly. But when you look at William Carlos Williams' poem, that famous poem, right, it's, it's fun, but it's also so powerful. I don't know. Where do you think where it, do you, that, that divide is? I think it depends on who's reading it or receiving it. It's not powerful to me, but that's because I don't know what it's about besides a wheelbarrow mm -hmm. and chickens. Mm -hmm. um, but I've read actually some of the other ones that he's written. There's one about fruit in the freezer or something like that, or fruit in the icebox. Uh, and to me, that was way less about the fruit and the person. Who, it was more about the person who's eating the fruit instead of him getting it. And I can't remember what that one, how, what it went like. But I think songs can be similar. There are songs that are super popular, people say are really inspiring to them that have no effect on me. And then there are songs that people have never heard before that I just love and they've changed the way I've written. Which I think is something different about music for me especially. I'll listen to other people and it changes the, changes the way I write or compose music as opposed to poetry. I was reading stuff and it didn't change the way I was trying to write. Um, and that just depends on the person, I think. So I think there are songs that are fun, but maybe to the people who wrote them, there's a greater meaning attached to them. I guess you could say the same for poetry. I, I don't really know where to go with it. There are songs that are fun, but they've got to mean something to somebody. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them so ingrained in us. Sure. Now, I mean, in that those fun songs, um, there are songs that are very much dedicated to the broad applicant. Sure. Right. Uh, we are going to do this, right? We'll, uh, Island of the Sun, we'll run away together, you know, hip, hip, anyhow. Uh, something. That, but it's very much ambiguously de uh, directed at the anyone, right? Sure. Versus a song by, say, musician um, uh, by Owen that I listened to, and... Um, those lyrics there, right, he said, you know, uh, where, where do I begin? One of the lines, where do I begin? I'm a dad and my dad's dead, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's very rooted to an experience that probably he had or he found somewhere. Sure. Um, what about applicability in terms of songwriting? Sure. Um, is there, does that change, the, at least for you as a songwriter, um, the, the nature of the song? Um, I find that when I'm performing, and I've performed on IRB, which is an IUP TV show, where we play music and explain it, and I've played in front of crowds before, and I find that all I want to do is play the song and then tell everybody what's it, what it's about. Like, I just want to explain it to people, and people don't really care. You know, if they can hear themselves in the song and kind of apply it to whatever they're experiencing, 
they're much more likely to enjoy it. And then there are songs that are super personal to me that I've written that I love because I know what they're about. People just, they don't care about it. So I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to achieve a lot of people listening to it, you have to make it broader. And if you're trying to achieve getting a point of view or a story across, you can make it as personal as you want and just then not care about what the outcome is. So, thank you for sitting down with me for yeah. the last 18 minutes. Sure, you're it's welcome. It's good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Um, maybe next time when we're having a meeting virtually, Matt can include you in the conversation. It's a okay. Bit. I'm not big on being on camera. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know that I'm the only person that sees that, though. Yeah, right? doesn't matter. It's not matter. like it goes... Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I'm, you'd much rather see Anthony somebody Mary. somebody that, that has just told me that you're on uh, TV um, at least yes. more than once. Yeah, uh, that's actually weekly, right. so... I think you should deal with it. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. You're in charge. You pay the bills. I do not. There are no bills. So Pete and I actually recorded that first half of the podcast a couple weeks ago. And then afterwards, we both realized that we were speaking way too fast. Uh, so in order to make this podcast a bit longer, we've decided to share some of our favorite songs as examples of poetry and music from our playlists. Um, first up is Pete sidebar uh, Pete either recorded his podcast underwater or next to a fish tank and if you hear a dog barking in the back of mine well that's diamond and she says hello all right so here's the breakdown of my five songs that I feel have lyrics that are both um, poetic in their musicality and also kind of musical in their poeticness um, the first one I want to start with just to get it out of the way and because it's a great song is the Beatles you never give me your money and it's that relationship between um, that first, you know, the the end in the middle of negotiations, you break down, and then that chorus where it's out of college, money spent, you know, that, that transition just makes it so strong in the relationship between um, chorus and verse. And in that tonal shift, um, the entire song just takes on new meaning. The second song that I'm going to mention is um, A Movie Script Ending by Death Cab for Cutie. This is the second track on their uh, album, The Photo Album. It is uh, It was originally released in 2002, and there's a lot of nostalgia built into this album for me, so I will admit that there's a possibility that some of this poeticness is really just masquerading um, uh, around as... There's really just nostalgia masquerading around as, as poeticness. However, I do think that some of these earlier uh, Death Cab albums in general all have this uh, poetic nature in the way that they're telling their stories. So when uh, Ben Gibbard starts this song out, right, he's whenever I come back, the air on railroad is making the same sounds. And the shop fronts on Holly are dirty words, asterisks in for the vowels, right? There's there's something poetic not only about the way that that story is told, but also the descriptive, uh, descriptive words that Gibbard is using. There's a bellow of buzzers, right? Um, there's uh, with prices inflating, as if saved from the gallows. So this song, while it is very nostalgic for me in a lot of ways, uh, it, there's something poetic about it that I just can't 
ever get past. The way that Gibber uses the uh, descriptive words, words that he's using to tell this story really make it very poetic in its, uh, in its narrative. The third song that I want to mention is a song called Adjustable Bed by quite possibly um, the best band you've never heard of called Under This House. Um, this particular song has um, inspired so much for me, but it's not just this song. Um, the, the lyrics that uh, Craig uses when he's the lead singer for this band um, have always inspired me to write poems. So while, yes, this song has personally inspired a lot of poems uh, by itself, um, all of Craig's music is, uh, is very inspirational to me. There's something about when I'm listening to any of Craig's bands uh, under this house, Caber Toss, I'd Be Jim, um, there's just something that I tune in and start writing. And it, I think it's the juxtaposition that Craig uses between all of his lines. There's something so real while at the same time so dreamy and kind of... Um, I, I, I can't even describe it. There's something so dreamy and poetic about it. White sheeted adjustable bed There's mountains and mountains of words he's wished he said The fourth song, and a song that I feel is quite possibly the most poetic, is Iron and Wine's The Trapeze Swinger. And while the entire song and a lot of Sam Bean's songs are, are very poetic in their nature, the entire line, um, the way that this moves through kind of back and forth like a trapeze swinger is very poetic to me. But there's that one verse that says, um, to say that the pearly gates had some eloquent graffiti like we'll meet again and F the man and tell my mother not to worry there's just that progression of like hard-hitting um, emotional details within that that make it so that we can never stop feeling what that moment that moment lingers forward and it's just because of that progression like we'll meet again and F the man and tell my mother not to worry Finally, the last song is uh, Never Meant by American Football. Um, this song, it's very poetic in its, the brevity of its lines. Now the lyrics, the lyrical nature of this, the way that Mike Kinsella delivers uh, this song is also a strong part of it. But I think what makes this most important is the brevity of each line. Let's just forget everything said, everything we did, best friends, better halves goodbyes, right? There's just that short, brief nature of each line that we don't have any of the long-winded nature of some of the other songs. It's just the important parts. And that's what I really look for in, in poetry as well. It's just that one moment, the one word, the key idea, whatever it is, that's, that's important there. So my first pick is a song called Little Aphrodite by Frank Turner. Um, and this song is actually one that I heard a couple years ago. Frank Turner is a British artist, and he's he was formerly in the punk scene, and now he's kind of in this weird alternative positive punk space. 
Um, and I chose this song specifically because it's got some weird subject material. Um, he's talking about meeting a woman and kind of falling in love with her as he sees her, but he compares her to Aphrodite, and he talks about how she's parts of different Greek goddesses, um, but all, overall she's, you know, this lovely character Someone of Aphrodite. It's like somebody somewhere scraped their keys down the side of my heart. A heart that had been stuck in traffic at some interminably unchanging red light. Um, and there's a line specifically that I like, uh, a heart that has been stuck in traffic at some interminably unchanging red light. Um, it's weird to me because this song shoves a bunch of words into something that could be really simply described as meeting someone and falling in love with them. But instead, he decides to be really descriptive and use a bunch of words, almost like if he was reciting a narrative poem to someone about how he met this woman. And he uses weird words that shouldn't fit within the scheme of the song that he has, but that he finds a way to make them fit. And that's why, to me, the song is a little bit more poetic than a normal pop song. So my second song is called Undyne, and it's from Laura Marling, who's one of my favorite artists. And I actually got to see her this summer in concert in D.C., um, and it was pretty amazing. This is actually off an album called Once I Was an Eagle, and it's the title from this particular album comes from a book called Letters to Emma Bullcut. And once I saw that she drew inspiration from this book to write parts of this album, I had to immediately buy the book. And the book is actually a collection of fake letters written from a male narrator to this woman that he met called Emma Bullcut. And we only get letters from his side of the narrative. So I like I have no idea what she was saying to him the whole time. But these letters themselves are extremely poetic because they bring together ideas that shouldn't make sense uh, and find a way to connect them, connect these images and ideas through a narrative. Uh, so there's lines in this song, um, Oh Undyne, sing your love to me. You live for the sea, you cannot love me. Uh, and what I like about this song is it adds to the chorus a little bit every time it hits the chorus. And it al also references folklore, which is really cool to me. Both the first song and the song reference something in history that I feel like modern songs don't usually do. I grew up playing in a folk band, and, um, you know, there's always legends that these songs are about from older cultures, and modern pop music doesn't do that. So that's what I really like about this song, and I also think that because it's about something mythical, it has a tendency to be more poetic, especially when they're not trying to rhyme everything together. Um, so that's Undyne. My steps towards the water Where Undyne less was seen I was told that if you saw her She would make you more naive So like every young teenager from the 90s I had a, uh, a huge part of my life That was dedicated to being in love with Owl City um, I was probably listening to them at the same time I was listening to Paramore So I probably had a really weird junior high kind of <laughs> persona but um the song that I chose from Al City uh, is Dental Care and I chose Al City particularly because a lot of his songs are kind of joyous and trivial and he uses a lot of wordplay in his songs which I think is really interesting and specifically in Dental Care um 
he uses lines like golf golf and alcohol don't mix golf and alcohol don't mix and that's why i don't drink and drive because good grief i'd knock out my teeth and have to kiss my smile goodbye You're playing off the idea of you know a, a driving and golf and alcohol and i think that's really funny um and i also think that you know, lines like, um, I've been to the dentist a thousand times, so I know the drill. It's kind of like a joke, and I appreciate that, because it reminds me a little bit of, like, Shel Silverstein poetry. Kind of, like, making fun of these little ideas and playing off of these words. And he does that in a lot of his music. Um, and I feel like poems, and we've talked about this earlier, have a tendency to be about anything. We talked about the red wheelbarrow, and maybe it does have a deeper meaning, but it's just kind of funny uh and then you know i feel like songs have such pressure to be about specific things and they have to be big ideas you know they have to be about the love of your life or um you know a really sad time for you or losing somebody whereas poetry can be about anything and i feel like al city takes that idea and he does make songs about anything and dental care is about you know going to the dentist office so i think that kind of makes this song a little bit more poetic than normal stuff because it is about something that's so simple but it complicates it by using different words and trying to match other ideas to this concept so my next song is from an artist called florence welsh and she is the lead singer for florence and the machine a lot of her music is really cool because she doesn't always use choruses she has maybe a phrase or two that repeats throughout that is kind of like a refrain um, but instead she takes words and and uses them in a way to describe ideas that I don't usually know what she's talking about but I want to listen anyways and I feel like for me reading poetry is a lot like that I don't always know what the poem is about because I can't tell uh, and you know having words that I like or phrases that I like from those poems helps me want to read it more so the song that I chose is called ship to wreck it is off her um Oh, I think it's called Big, Blue, and Beautiful, or whatever, her newest album. Uh, and there's a couple lines that I really like, especially her opening line. Uh, Don't touch the sleeping pills, they mess with my head. Dredging up great white sharks, swimming in the bed. I feel like there are a lot of songs that are simply just used to describe an emotion. And instead of describing, oh, I feel in love, or oh, I'm heartbroken that we're breaking up, um, Florence decides to describe that emotion by using images you know, she's kind of going a little bit crazy and she's getting depressed and losing herself in this relationship. She didn't build this relationship to to fail, but it is failing anyways uh, and kind of feeding into that feeling. And I really like the way she describes it. And she talks about, you know, different nautical themes following along with this, the idea of the ship to wreck. And I really think that that's a poetic way to approach lyrics as opposed to, I don't know, just rhyming words. I think of like songs like Havana and she rhymes Havana with East Atlanta and like we're all amazed at it and we want to dance to it and that's great but to me you know finding different ways to describe emotions through imagery is a lot more poetic and I, I really like that style about Florence. My final song is by an artist called Regina Spector. If you haven't heard her music before, um, you're probably just not familiar that you've heard it before. 
She has a couple songwriting tracks on films like 500 Days of Summer. Uh, she did the cover for the, the Kubo and the Two Strings trailer of the Beatles song uh, that was fantastic of um, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. She's a really interesting artist that uses a lot of piano in her pieces and her lyrics have these, I don't want to say demented, but kind of twisted feel to them. She has songs where she's describing, you know, political movements and she describes it through the lens of, you know, a fur furrier and a trapper walking through the forest and, you know, they see all these animals and they leave them toothless and clawless behind them. So she describes things under a veil of something that we can understand as opposed to something like a, a political idea. So the song that I chose is actually one of her happier songs, and it's called Don't Leave Me. Uh, and there's a French title for it, too, and I'm, I don't speak French, but it's uh, Ne Makita Pa. And uh, the opening line of the song is really interesting. I have no idea what she's saying. Um, something about losing something in the night uh, as you're walking down the street. Um, but I really like the feel of it, and I think it's really interesting. I also, you know, I don't know what this song is about, but it's playful, and it mixes in these French phrases, and it has lines like, new shoes stuck to aging feet. And I like these images because I might not know where they're going, but they're something that I can picture. And she treats each verse kind of like a little vignette. And then she connects them with this chorus about, you know, loving the place where you're at and being in love with a city. I think that's something that poetry does as well. Um, we talked earlier about how I had a professor that told me that each stanza had to be a different idea. And then you link them together in the end by twisting it. And I feel like if that's not the way that all poetry is written, this song is kind of written in that format. Um... You know, each verse is a different vignette of people in the city and people just enjoying where they're at. And then it's all linked together with this chorus that's in French. Uh, so I really like this song and I think it is a great way to show the poetry and how it links to music. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast and for listening to Pete and I uh, talk about music all day long. Um, if you are interested in listening to more of our podcasts, you can actually find them on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. Uh, you can also visit our website to see where some of our books are. We also publish books. We have a poetry subscription service where you can subscribe and get 12 postcards a year that have poetry and artwork on them. That's a big part of what we do here at Red Flag Poetry. And uh, if you're interested in my music, I'm on Bandcamp. So thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great day.